my black suit, all black in mourning, but uh, we're, we're, it's okay. So, um, anyway, I feel your pain, exactly. Now I know what it feels like to, to lose, so. <laughs> what was that, lose graciously or something? Anyway, be a gracious loser. Well, as... Uh, As uh, it has been said in, I can't think of that guy's name now, so it doesn't matter. All right, Romans 14. Let's get get into our study this morning. Romans 14. Um, uh, let's just read verse number 10. Uh, but, but why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now we are coming to this part here in Romans 14 where Paul is dealing with the weaker brother, stronger brother relationship. And we're coming to this wonderful topic of the judgment seat of Christ. And this topic is a tremendous uh, topic, and yet there is a lot of uh, bad doctrine out there about it. Okay, If you Google this or YouTube this, you'll come up with a ton of different ideas and so forth. And you guys know me. It is, what does the scripture say? And that's what we're going to look at. So we're going to just spend this week, next week, and probably one more just looking at this topic of the judgment seat of Christ. So we're going to kind of take a, a little side study here because we're at it. And really, we have to remind ourselves why Paul brings it up. And again, all through the book of Romans, this book of foundation doctrine. Paul introduces topics, subjects. He doesn't give a lot of detail about them in Romans. Actually, there's more detail about the judgment seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5 and in the book of Thessalonians as well. And we'll get over into all of that uh, probably next week. So when you think about that, you know, you, you read here, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to all give an account of himself to God. and all. But it's the context of why and where Paul is using this. And that is the issue of the, what we looked at last time, last week, in, coming out of verse 9. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. So that context here in the weaker brother scenario all right um, what's happening here why does he talk in verse 9 about him being the Lord and then in verse 11 he quotes Isaiah 45 makes that reference to it in Philippians 2 about every uh, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to me and so forth and again in the context what Paul is doing here is why are you, the stronger brother, judging the weaker brother? You have no rights to do that. You have no right to sit in the judgment seat. That's not your place. 
the only person that could ever has the right to it is the Lord Jesus Christ as 100% God, but also 100% humanity. The, he is the Son of Man. That's who He is. So when we get into this, and we, we're, we're going to look this morning at, uh, very, there, there are six or eight, seven, I count, I like seven because it's a n- nice, round, perfect number, but it depends on how you lay them out, various judgments in Scripture. And as I want to just get them on the board, get them in your thought pattern, and then for us to understand that, that that's not us, okay? These judgments aren't us. When we begin to talk about the judgment seat of Christ, we want to identify when we're going to be judged. We want to identify why we're going to be judged. We want to identify how we're going to be judged. And we're going to, we want to identify how to prepare for that judgment. Because ultimately in Romans 14, what Paul's going to say to the stronger is instead of judging the weaker, why don't you prepare the weaker for the judgment seat? And boy, what a privilege to think of it that way rather than trying to get them to come up. Uh, come over to 1 Corinthians 4. Try to get them to to come to our level of maturity. And again, you let every man be persuaded in his own mind, Paul says earlier in Romans 14. You can't accelerate the edification process of someone else. You just can't do that. So then don't hold, don't look at them, what we're going to see in verse 10 where he says, set it not. Don't demand that they live at your level when they're not there yet in their understanding. Okay, and again, weak in the faith, not weak in faith, but the faith. They don't have that truth. They don't have the grace life. They don't have the sound doctrine yet in their inner man, or they do, and it's just not ready to come out yet and be lived. Okay, 1 Corinthians 4, a key passage when we talk about the judgment seat and we talk about what's happening here. Uh, again, in Romans 14, in that context, Paul is laying out that why, why are you judging your brother? And actually, really, the weaker judging the stronger as well. So it's uh, both ways. You're not supposed to do either. And that's the tendency, by the way. The weaker brother likes to play victim. Oh, I just, oh, you're just beating up on me because I'm weaker. Grow up. Okay. I have a message I haven't taught. I retitle it different things. It's that God doesn't like wimpy believers. He doesn't. You're not a victim. Romans 8's already told you that. So what happens? Then the weaker will look at the stronger and say, you're not supposed to do that. No, you're not to sit. You have no right. We don't have the capacity to rightfully judge anyone because what are we going to do? We're gonna, our bias will roll in. Our level of understanding rolls in. And it's like, wait a minute, and so forth. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, key verse here. He says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. Now, that's going to be what we call the rapture, the day of redemption, the day of our gathering. Who, so the Lord, both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsel of the hearts. 
And there's the, that's the issue of preparing the weaker for this event. Because what, what better way to have every heart is going to be revealed Man, get, let's get that heart right. Let's get into this. And then shall every man have praise of God. See what the end is? The end of it isn't, I get a better seat than you, or I got more crowns than you. That's religion. The end is, every man's going to have what? Praise of God. The ultimate goal in all of this, when we get over into the judgment seat of Christ stuff, is going to be, that your inner man, the capacity of your inner man for service, but whose service? His service. And for him, we are his body. He's going to present his body. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm ahead, but look over to Ephesians 5. Because what happens, honestly, look at Ephesians 5. When you get to talking about the judgment seat of Christ, everybody focuses in on the judgment side of that word, of that phrase, of that title, and then terror is struck in the heart. Oh, man, he's going to judge me. And, well, you know, it's a bad thing. But yet, look, look at Ephesians 5. And, uh, uh, it, well, it really starts in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it. The it there is the church. Okay? Now, for the husbands, the it is your wife. But Paul is discussing the relationship between Christ and the church, and the husband-wife relationship is to be a picture of that. But now watch verse 27. That he might present it, the church, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's the ultimate goal of the judgment seat of Christ. That's what we're talking about. What's he going to do? He's going to present him to himself, his body, perfect, without spot, without wrinkle, holy, and so forth. So go back to Romans 14. So when we get into this stu the study here about um, the judgment seat of Christ, the first thing we have to remember is the context in which it sits in. The only one who has the right to sit on the judgment seat is the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have the right to sit in judgment. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that we can't come along and help. Be a helper of their joy. By the way, helping is admonishing and exhortation, too. See? Admonishment and exhortation is a part of the component. We'll see this here in just a minute. So, we, 14.10, Romans 14.10. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? See that set at naught to, to come along and to, to doubtful disputation, to set at naught. Why are you requiring the weaker who's not capable of living at your spiritual level of maturity? He's not able, so why are you requiring that of him? That's to set it not. You're requiring him to do something that he's not able to do. So when we talk here about the judgment seat of Christ, again, we're going to look this morning at those various judgments, put them up on the board as we go across the timeline. We have to, we're doing this because 
everybody gets nervous about this topic. And it's a wonderful topic when you grasp what's happening and you grasp that the judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with sin. Sin isn't on the table. So what do you have to do? You have to jettison that, I, that thinking. You have to renew your mind. Not rehab it, renew it, build it new. So don't get nervous. Hopefully when we're done with this in the next couple of weeks, you'll be able to rejoice in this wonderful event when we actually meet the Lord in the air. Okay, he himself comes back, he's calling us, he's gathers, and we have a meeting, a plan, pre-planned meeting. It's on the calendar. Now, it's on his calendar. We don't know what his calendar is, but it's there, and what's going to transpire is this right here. By the way, I don't know if you've ever thought about verse 12. So then let every one of us, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. What are you going to say to God? Well, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 said that he's going to make known the counsels of the what? Of the heart. He's going to reveal it. So when you go in and you have your face-to-face with your Savior, what are you going to say to him that's going to move him an inch? There's absolutely nothing you can say. See, that's the thing. But what's there? Think about, I don't know, death. We had the... Memorial, the celebration of life for Kathy yesterday. And, you know, you get morbid and think about death. What is death? Death is just the soul departing from the body. Doesn't, there's no sensate, there's a, there's a stoppage of life in the body, but not in who you are. But when you die as a believer and you're absent from the body and you're present with the Lord, what did you take with you to the presence of the Lord? You. What did you build in you? Okay. So you build in you a bunch of whatever. That's what you're taking. What are you giving an accounting of? What you just took to him? I don't know. People got weird ideas about how you're going to do it. You know, big movie screen, popcorn. Everybody's going to laugh and giggle at you, you know. It's going to be a day of rejoicing because it's going to be where that final purification isn't the word, but that's the idea of your inner man because there's going to be a fire. There's going to be a judgment of what you built in your body, built into you, and there's going to be a loss and there's going to be a reward. Everybody goes through it. Our job as the stronger, as those that understand it, is to help the weaker get ready for it. So how does a weaker get ready for it? Get them edified up. Build up. We're in the building up business. So when you look at this verse, we have to remember that. Okay? Now, come over. So there are some major judgments in Scripture. Okay? The first one is Calvary. By the way, in Scripture, judgment And resurrection go together. There's a resurrection and there's a judgment. There's a judgment and there's a resurrection. Okay? 
Now let's think about Calvary. This is number one. What, what, did, what happened at Calvary? Well, he died, he was buried, and then what? He rose, right? So you have that judgment. Come over to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. We're just going to look at these, get as far as we can, and then we'll pick up here next time, but we'll get there. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. So you have a judgment. Number one is Calvary. And what does he do at Calvary? He pays for the sin problem, sin condition of man, doesn't he? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And again, I draw your eye to the word made. For he hath made him to be sin. He was not, he made the opposite of what you were originally, your original condition. What was the original condition of the Son of God? He was what? God. Sinless. Came in human form. Sinless. And he was what? Made over to be sin. What's your original condition? Sinner. Loser. You know? What's second place? First loser. That's who you are. You're a sinner. But then he made you what? Righteous. That word made is critical. It's like that one, that, the, uh, the phrase, as one born out of due time. It's that issue of being aborted. You're not natural. It's an unnatural thing. So it's really a significant term, made. He was made to be sin for who? For us. Come over to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're headed out. The Lord is on his way out to the uh, to Calvary to die. The, the, the betrayal and the arrest is coming. It's not happened yet. He says in verse 36, then cometh Matthew 26, 36, Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane. And he said unto his disciples, Sit here ye while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thy will. And there's this conversation about the cup, verse 42. And he prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass See this issue about this cup. And you go over to Revelation 14, and what's described as being in the cup is the wrath of God without mixture, that indignation of his wrath. So as the Lord is praying on his way to Calvary, he looks into the cup of the wrath of God without mixture, no dilute, no creamer, no dilution, no almond milk with a splash of soy, None of that. It comes the full bore for who? For you, for your sin. What's fascinating, verse 53, Peter drew his sword out there and took off the servants of the high priest's ear, verse 51. 
Jesus said unto him, verse 52, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Okay. We have a song about, what is it, 10,000? This is not 10,000. This is more like 72,000. Because a legion is roughly 6,000. And 6 times 12 is 72. So there's a few more than 10,000. It just makes good song. But watch verse 54. But how then? Notice, notice what he said to Peter. Peter, put it away. Don't you think I can ask the Father to deliver me? And he would. But, I love that. How then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? You know what? He would deliver me, but there ain't nobody else that can go and die. And do this. So the first judgment is the, the judgment of Calvary. Psalms 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I am not, not a man, I'm a worm. Where are you at? In my, you, you, you hear the people cry and you answer them, but you hear me cry. And, you, and I know why, because you're a holy God. And a holy God can't look on sin. So, he, this first judgment and resurrection, they're going to be together, has to do with the payment of the sin of humanity, taking care of Adam's race, Adam's sin. Okay? Now, we come over here to you and I, and there is a judgment of self. Look over at 1 Corinthians 11. Okay, 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Now, this isn't a major judgment. It's just there. There's a self-judgment. And by the way, there is a self-resurrection in it too. And this is our daily walk. I'm going to run out of room, so let's not make it too big, Okay. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, and look at verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that ye should not be condemned with the world. Now, there's several judgments in there, but, there, but this self-judgment, okay? 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, he says, examine yourself. If you look back up at verse 28, but let a man examine himself. There, that is when you stop and daily in life you're examining your, your, your own self. The responsibility of keeping yourself in, on track with the doctrine learned. Again, sound doctrine learned. You don't know it all. I don't know. But we're learning. We're growing. We say belongs to you. It's your job. Okay, so there's a, now by the way, if I judge an activity to be dead, by Romans 6, I'm dead to sin, but I'm what? Alive to God. There's death, and there's a resurrection of the newness of life, and walk. There's a connection there. If you look there, verse 31, he says, judge ourselves. So there's a self-judgment. You take the word of God. 
and you put it into your conscience and your conscience says your activity is matching the word or it is not matching the word. But then he says, verse 32, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. Now you get into the big question about, well, how does the Lord chasten you? Just If you write down 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, you know how the Lord chastens you. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. So how does the Lord chasten you, correct you today? He doesn't come in with a heavy hand coming out of the sky. You know, I, I call it the denozo slap. He doesn't do that. He, you, you get in the book, and what happens? You learn. You go, wait a minute. I need to adjust my thinking here, thus my behavior, and I'm going to crucify the deeds of the flesh, and I'm going to live as who I am in Christ. Okay? So that's today. That's a self-judgment. Number three is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we're going to talk about that the next two weeks, okay? But I want you to get the other ones here. And that's Romans 14, verse 10. This is where when we have the... Uh, examining of the capacity for service of your inner man where you are you are you gain that ultimate praise of God 1 Corinthians 4 5 okay so that's where we're at so you've got three right there now I'm gonna have to make a mess come with me to Ezekiel chapter 20 Ezekiel chapter 20. Because the fourth judgment, and again, has to do with, and we'll see it here in Ezekiel 20, Ezekiel 20, has to do with what we reference as the 70th week of Daniel, we call that the tribulation. But it's the judgment of the nation of Israel. That's what it is. That's what the 70th week is all about. Remember Daniel 9, 24? Upon the holy city and upon thy people are determined. So the, for Ezekiel 20, verse 33. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm <clears throat> and with fury poured out will I rule over you and I will bring you out from the people and will gather you out of the countries wherein ye are scattered with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out and I will bring you into the wilderness of the people and there will I plead with you face to face like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so will I plead with you, saith the Lord, and I will cause you to pass under the rod. Isaiah 10, verse 5 says the rod there is the Assyrian, the Antichrist, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant, and I will purge out from among you the rebels and them that transgress against me. The day of the Lord, what's it going to do? Purge out the rebels. Get out the dross. Clean up the nation of Israel. That's the goal. So that fourth, all right, we have the second coming. 
So we have the judgment of Israel as he puts them through the seven years of that great tri- of that tribulation into the great trib and so forth. We call it the 70th week. We call it the trib. Subsequently after that, we'll have the millennial kingdom and the thousand years. But right before this, there is a resurrection. And then there is a fifth judgment, Matthew 25. Come on over to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, 31. And this is going to be a judgment of the Gentiles. And again, there is a resurrection associated with that. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him. There's, that's the second coming. What does it say? Then. See that timing? When's he going to sit on the throne of his glory? When he comes back with all his holy angels, the second coming, then he's going to sit on the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate one from another, as a, sheep divideth the, uh, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. What's he doing? The nations, the Gentiles. The ones that have come through this time period here. How do you know that? Well, watch what he does to them. Verse 34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Uh Uh-oh, he's talking to Gentiles, and what did he just say? Come on into the kingdom, guys. And they say, What you talking about? (laughs) And he says, for I was a hungered, and you gave me meat, and I was thirsty, and you gave me drink, and I was a stranger, and you took me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. All of those in verse 35 and 36, you can take and correlate into the book of the Revelation. That's how you know he's not talking about all the Gentiles. He's talking about a very specific group of Gentiles in this time period. By the way, future of us hasn't happened yet. And you can sit and you can literally take the Hebrew epistles, if you want to get even broader, and you can bounce that bad boy in back and forth where they're doing this and you see it happening. You Remember the seven churches? And one of them was you're going to be thrown in jail and you're going to do all this and that's going to happen to you? Well, who went in there and took care of those people? Well, obviously some Gentiles do, because what does he say? After the fact, he said what? Well, verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Man, think about that. So you know they're doing it, otherwise the Lord's a liar. Which, by the way, all of the critics of this, of when you start talking about judgment, say that this is not here, it's somewhere else, and it really didn't happen. It's a, then the Lord's a liar, and you might as well close shop up and go home. By the way, did anybody win the big Powerball, the $1.6 billion or whatever? A fool and his money are soon parted, my dad would always say. Right? And I didn't play, so I didn't win. So if you win, I, got a, I, have, a house, I have a bridge to sell you if you won, okay? <laughs> <laughs> bridge, yeah, bridge to nowhere. 
Um, verse 41, then shall he also, now watch, say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now watch. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me no meat. And I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. See that? So they didn't do the Abrahamic covenant, where the Gentiles did the Abrahamic covenant. In, the, in verse 35, 36, 37, the Abrahamic covenant, I'll bless them that bless you, I'll curse them that curse you. Verse 44 then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we? See that? Verse, by the way, that's how you know they're going to argue with the Lord, the judge, the righteous judge. People, I heard a guy one time, ah, oh, people ain't going to argue with the Lord. Baloney, look at them. They're looking at hell. Sitting right over there, there's a door open. They're going to go get <laughs> thrown down the chute. And what are they doing? They're arguing for their life. Verse 45, then shall he answer them and saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of these of the least of these, ye did it not to me. Isn't that interesting? And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into unto life eternal. Isn't that fascinating? There's a res so you got that one. Okay? Now, go over to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. By the way, this is not us. This is not us. Revelation 20. Revelation 20. By the way, great white throne, not us. <laughs> you see, but you will run into people who say what? This is us. They'll say in the middle of the week there when the 144,000 are taken out, that's us. No. This is us. Not us. Not us. Number six. Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So we have a judgment, number six, of death and hell, the lost, right? Then number seven, we have a judgment of the sea. If you look at the next, and verse 13, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. That's the judgment of the fallen angels, the angelic realm, Okay. The, in Jude, you've got the angels in the chains of darkness, and you've got Satan, you've got all that fallen. So you've got, and, that, and again, you can put these together, that's fine. I like seven because it's a perfect number. All right? But these are the major thoughts here through the issue of judgment when you think about it. Okay? Are you with that? So, again, not us, not us, not us. Definitely not us, but us. Yes? Right, not the body of Christ. They'll be doing exactly what Matthew 25 said they did not do, which was bless the little flock. So these guys right here, we're going to look at it when we... Uh, 
they actually are participating in the satanic policy of evil against the little flock. They're not helping the believing remnant. And they will know who they are because they'll... Right, exactly. Okay, now, let's look at these. We got 20 minutes backwards real quick, okay? Come with me to Revelation 1 and verse 18. Revelation 1, 18. So let's look at the great white throne judgment and then just kind of back our way as far as we can in 22 minutes. <laughs> okay? Now I, I guess that's a good point. This is body. Let's make that clarification there. Okay? Revelation 1, look at verse 18. The Lord speaking here. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of what? Death and hell. The Lord Jesus Christ and his right as the Son of Man. Okay? He's now the rightful judge. He has the keys, authority, power over those who are dead. See that? He's got the keys of death and hell. Now come back to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Revelation 20. And look at verse 13. And this is important because what did Paul start this little this section on in, in Romans 14? What did he start? You have no right to sit in the judgment seat. The only one that has that right is the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is the Son of Man, because he's died, he rose, and revived. He died, he rose again, and then revived. He set right back to his original position. He never lost a day. Okay? Revelation 20, 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. That's not the verse I wanted. Oh, well, okay. Well, yeah, it is. I'm sorry. It's the issue there of, and death and hell delivered up the dead. See that? Who has the authority to have death and hell delivered up? To deliver them up is to resurrect them. There's a resurrection here of the dead. Who has that authority? The Son of God does. The Son of Man. Why? He has the keys of death and hell delivered up. They are resurrected. Look, look back up at verse 11. And I, or verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, what? Stand before God. In order for them to stand before God, they have to be resurrected. See? So only the Lord who conquered death has the right over those who are going to go to hell, the lake of fire. He has, he's the only one that has the authority over the dead. He does. Why? Because he conquered death, the last enemy. Who, anyone who goes to hell and ultimately into the lake of fire goes there not because they are a victim of death. It's appointed unto man once to die. Then what? 
the judgment. They're not going there because they are a victim of death or the consequence of death or the authority of death, but because the authority of the one who conquered death and now sits in a righteous judgment position decides that's where they're going for eternity. And I'll remind you, something my dad always used to say too, still says it I'm sure, You've never been big enough in a day in your life to make God do something that God doesn't want to do. So you can say, oh, Rick, you're full of it. You don't mean it. But that's what's happening here in the verses. That's what these verses are talking about. How, how, are, the, how are the dead judged? Verse 13. What's opened up? The books, right? The books of what? Of what they did, their works. The end of verse 12 which were written in the books according to their what? Works. Isn't that interesting? He's going to look at them and say, what did you do? You know he's going to say the same thing to you and I at the judgment seat of Christ. What did you build on your foundation? You see, it's responsibility. It's accountability. It is no one else's fault. It's your fault. It's your responsibility. You can't say, well... The wife you gave me made me do it. Or the husband that I had. No, it's you. That's the point here. Satan's bound for a thousand years. Not because Satan is... It, it's, the reason he's bound for a thousand years is so that man understands that they can't say the devil made me do it. What makes them mess up? Sin does. He took care of that. You decided not to trust him. We would not like to retain God in our knowledge, so we've rejected him. There's your, there's your destiny. You see, so when you look at this stuff, uh, come back with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And get, kind of get off the track there. They're standing there, folks, at the grave. That means they're resurrected to go into a final judgment. Their death and hell, the lost, they're standing there going, ah, don't let that get lost on you. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul here in a great chapter about the resurrection of the dead. Okay, that's the question he's dealing with. He says, verse 20, But now is Christ risen from the dead and became the firstfruit of them that slept. For since by man came, death by man came also the resurrection of the dead. I read that without the uh, punctuation. For since by man came what? Death. All right? It's appointed unto man once to die. You know, everybody's going to die. If the Lord tarries, everybody's dying. All right? But watch what the verse says. By man came also the resurrection of the who? Now, which man is that? That's Christ. That ain't Adam. That's not you. This isn't about. Now, watch the next verse. For as in Adam all die. Now, you, we have to read this verse very carefully because we make it sometimes say what it doesn't say. Even so. In Christ shall all be made alive. 
It does not say that everybody, it doesn't say all in Christ be made alive. See that? It says, even so in Christ shall all. This is not a redemptive issue here. We like to use it, all in Adam die and all those in Christ live, you know, and make it. But in the context, it's about what? Resurrection of the dead. That's what he, Who's going to resurrect from the dead? Everybody is. Because of who? Because of Christ's resurrection. Who was he when he rose here? What did the lady say? What have you done with our Messiah? What have you done with our guy? Where is he? If you just show me where the body is, I'll come and take him away. See, folks... Verse 22 is not redemption. Because of who Jesus Christ is. And what did he do? He rose from the dead. There will be a resurrection of all humanity one day. That's what Paul's getting at. You see, everybody dies. Why? Because of Adam. But what's going to happen? Everybody's going to get resurrected, but because of who? Christ. Whether it's over here, or here, or here. You with me? I hope so. Because this is where everybody goes harebrained about the judgment seat of Christ and puts it all over the map when that's not what Paul's after. Look at verse 23. This is how you know this. But every man, who's that? Every man. That's everybody. In his own what? Order. Ain't that wonderful? This has nothing to do about being in Christ redemptively. It has to do with the fact that because Christ rose from the dead... One day, all of humanity will rise from the dead. But there's an order to it. Christ the first fruits, after what? Now, they that are Christ at his... There you are. There's us, the little flock as well, the Old Testament saints, you and I. But there's an order to it. And that's what I want you to see here. That, uh, That when he says, but every man in his own order, that demands that there is at least... Two resurrections. Okay? Not one general one where everybody gets called up at one time, and that's where they put it over here. No, there's an order to this. Verse 24, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have, now watch, Put down all rule and all authority and all and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is who is what? Well, where did we see that death was cast off into the lake of fire? Great white throne judgment. The order. There's an order to this. Revelation 20. I should have. The last enemy is death. Revelation 20, verse 11. 
Revelation 20, 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead. Think about that. Think about verse 11. Heaven fled away. Do you realize that the lost will never, ever, ever see heaven? They've never glimpsed the glory of the Godhead. Heaven's fled away. It's not there. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. There's the dead. They stand. They've been resurrected. Verse 13, they're judged. Verse 14, and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. There's the last enemy put down over here. So we got an order to this. This isn't chaotic. This isn't mass confusion. There's order to this. Chapter 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So that's where we're at, right? Now look at verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more what? Why? Because the last enemy, death, has been put down. It's been what? It's been judged. There's a resurrection and a judgment. And that ends right there. There's an order to this. Now, come back with me to Daniel chapter 12. And watch it work out in the prophetic scriptures. So when we talk about the three major judgments, by the way, the three major judgments... Judgment seat of Christ, obviously Calvary, that's the big one, okay? Judgment seat of Christ, this of the Gentile, the nations here in Israel, this time period, and then the great white throne judgment. But when you think about this, look at Daniel 12, and watch Daniel here. The lost folks will be resurrected to stand in front of the judge. And the great white throne judgment. Don't ever think the lost are getting away with anything. Why? Because they got to give an account of what they did. And when I think about, you know, you think about the lost, and you really can't know if someone's saved or not, and, you know, it happens, whatever. You know, I think some, some of us are going to be uh, delightfully impressed of who's in heaven <laughs> when we get there. Because what does it take to get to heaven? Just trusting Calvary. That's it, not living a, a perfect life or anything else, you know, right? But anyway, think about the lost guy. He thought he got away with it. The bumper sticker, he with a, he, who has the most toys in the end wins. He thinks he's getting away with it. And then yet he's got to come in now and stand before the judge, and what's he going to do? Wait a second, I never, I never knew that. I never this, I never that, right? And, and he's going to say, well, well, it's been here, right here, it's been here. And there's a whole, a come to Jesus meeting. Literally. Daniel 12, verse 1. Daniel here. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble. So the time that Michael stands up, that's in the midst of the week. Because now there's going to be a a bigger time of tr great tribulation. And there shall be such as never was since there was a nation even to what 
uh, even to that same time. And at that time, now watch, thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that is found written in the book. You see, thy people shall be, what? Delivered. Who's, the, thy, who's Daniel's people? That's Israel. Okay. And verse 2, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contentment. Now, isn't that interesting, what he just told Daniel? There's going to be a resurrection, Daniel, of thy people. Some to life everlasting and some to contentment. See that? Believing remnant, apostate Israel. If you want to get that narrow. What I want you to see is there's an order to it. There's something happening here. Many. Verse 3, And they that be wise shall, shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. There's going to be a... He's describing three periods of time here. He's describing... A time of trouble, a resurrection into everlasting life, and a resurrection into everlasting contempt. He's describing, th now, he's got them all in one verse, but they're there. Now, we can come back, rightly dividing the word, parse it out late. The Jews can do the same thing. The believing remnant can do the same. But you look at that. Time of trouble. We got a resurrection going to happen here, and we got one that's going to happen over here. Now, drop down to verse 11, because it gets even more interesting. 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, midst of the week, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth, and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Rest, death, and then stand, resurrection. But where? In thy lot. You know what he's telling Daniel? Daniel, you're going to die, way back there, and one day you're going to be resurrected to stand in your lot in the kingdom. So what's going to happen here in this resurrection, Revelation calls it the first resurrection, we're going to have the martyrs from this time period, and we're going to have the Old Testament saints resurrected up, which, by the way, include the believing remnant here because we interrupted everything. So what's going to be, who's going to be resurrected here is going to be the 12 apostles. Which isn't that interesting that he needs them to rule the kingdom. David is going to be resurrected and then set as the king over Israel. All of this is happening right here. You guys don't look excited. I'm excited and it's time to quit. I mean, verse 11, Daniel 12, 11 is the first half of the trib. The second half is verse 12. And in verse 13, after the 70 weeks, Daniel, you're going to stand up. 
You're going to be resurrected. That's an order, folks. This isn't chaotic. It's right there in order. Quickly, Acts 24. Acts 24. We may be a few minutes over this morning, but you ought to be, you ought to get, this stuff ought to excite you. Because this isn't you and I, but this is understanding that the fact that he's going to do this and he says he's going to do it is the very guarantee that he's going to do you and I what he says he's going to do for us. See, that's the thing. He's going to do this. He's told Daniel a long time ago, I'm going to do this. And then he tells Paul, this is what I'm going to do to you guys. And then he, and we said, oh, no, he's not. He's not going to do that. It's just a, you know, And it's like, wait a second. He just did this. How do you know he's God? He's doing what he said he's going to do before it happened. He said it, and now it's done. All right, Acts 24, quickly, verse 15. And have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. Now, this is not the judgment seat of Christ. Because who's resurrected here? Just the just. Just the body. See, So what are we, we're talking here about the great white throne judgment. Where the unjust are raised to everlasting contempt. 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. I charge thee, Paul to Timothy, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Again, notice the... The two people groups, 2 Timothy 4, 1, just and the dead, quick and the dead, and then the two times, at his appearing and at his kingdom. Now, come back to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. In the first three verses, you've got Satan bound for the thousand years. Verse 4. And I saw thrones... And they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Notice that. There's a first resurrection, but there isn't a resurrection of the dead yet. When did the dead raise? Over here. Here is something else. Here's the martyred people that went through the tribulation, and then here's the Old Testament, guys. Where does Daniel get raised up? Right here. Right here. That's why it's called the first resurrection, because what's coming? There's a second resurrection coming. But the second one has to do with this event. See? If there's a first, there's usually a second, isn't there? The first man, Adam. The second man, Christ. There's an order. That's my point. Okay? 
You with that? Now go back to Matthew 8. Are you tracking? That's what I should say. Look at Matthew 8. Think about this. Matthew 8, the Lord is speaking here to uh, the little flock. He's talking to, to the centurion. He's, gonna he, he's healing the centurion servant there in verse 5. But look at verse, look at verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, so talking to the disciples, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west. So where are we? We're on the earth, aren't we? East and west. And shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, isn't that interesting? Here is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on the earth. How'd they get there? They're dead. Their bones have been scattered to the eon. They're resurrected to sit where? You go over into Psalms 99, and there's Samuel and all those guys, and they're sitting in the kingdom. What happened? They got resurrected in. Okay? Great white throne judgment, not us. Uh, quickly, the Gentiles here, Matthew 25. Look at Matthew 25. Just real quick so we can clear this one up and then we'll be done, I hope. Matthew 25. Again, we, these are the Gentile nations. They are doing the Abrahamic covenant. But what I'd like you to catch just real quick, and we didn't, I didn't say this a minute ago and I should have, is look there in Matthew 25 and look at verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the, notice, least of these my brethren. Look at the world's estimation of the Jew. They are what? Least. They're insignificant. And because you guys, you Gentiles, during this period of time, don't help, don't participate, don't push the satanic policy of evil against the least of these, my brethren, that little flock, who's least of the Jew. You get, to, you get to go in. And you guys that don't, you're going right there. That's where you're going. There's a judgment right here. There's a resurrection. They go in, they go there. The ones, the, res, the ones there in verse 41 and following are the ones who helped facilitate the Antichrist and the satanic policy of evil against Israel and the moving in. Folks, none of this is us. None of this is the judgment seat of Christ. This all is, and again, next time we'll get into this, all at the judgment seat of Christ, only the believer is standing there. And again, that ultimate goal, Ephesians 5.27, is that he's going to present his body to himself glorious Colossians 3 and verse uh, 4 verse uh, Colossians 3 
and verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. That's the ultimate goal. Okay? None of this is us. Now, we're going to talk about us next time. All right? And I didn't, I, it took a half hour to get all that out. So I, I tried. Okay? And I'm, thank you for bearing with me. But please, relax. We're not here. We're not here. We definitely aren't there. We're right here. And we'll talk about us next time. And the tremendous event that is the judgment seat of Christ. We'll lay it out. We'll get you there. And we'll see the details. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the patience of the folks and their desire to study and to look into these things. In your name we pray. Amen.